hearing the parables of Jesus, we've seen that as a part of his teaching, he uses images, he tells stories, and often these images and these stories surprise, they shock, they provoke us to respond to him and his claims on our lives. And we'll see that again uh, this morning as we consider Jesus' parable that he tells here in Luke chapter 12. I'm going to begin reading in verse 13, and I will read uh, through verse 23. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 23. Hear now the word of God. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. Therefore I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, Drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and body is more than clothing. Let's pray. Father, what a challenging text we have before us this morning. As Jesus confronts something that is near and dear to our hearts, that is very close to our identity, our wealth, our money, our possessions, as he addresses the fear and stress that so many of us live with and come with this morning. As we approach these challenging words, uh, we do ask for clarity, uh, but I also ask for humility because there is a major part of me that wants to reject what Jesus is saying. And so would you humble us before your word? Would you open our hearts to receive it and be changed by it. Open our ears, open our eyes. May we receive the life-giving word that you're bringing to us this morning. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. About a year ago, we had some friends come through town to visit us. They were on their way uh, to Disney, and they stayed uh, in our house uh, for a night. And, and these friends have a son just a few months older than our youngest son. And, and this, we didn't plan it this way, but they're both named Sam. And, um, and their Sam, who's a few months older and a lot larger than our Sam, their Sam thought it was a fun game to walk up to our Sam and take his passy out of his mouth and walk away with it. Um, our Sam did not think that that was a fun and enjoyable game, and he screamed... <laughs> And melted down every time that happened. Why? Why did Sam react that way? Because we know the word mine 
before we even know how to say it. We know the word mine before we even know how to say it. What belongs to me is a defining question in our lives. And it's a defining question not only for us personally, it's a defining question culturally, politically. The violence that we have seen in the news throughout the past month isn't one of the central questions that drives it. What belongs to us? Well, that very defining question is what prompts the parable that we just read. A man comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, help me get what belongs to me. Jesus, help me get what's mine from the inheritance of my family. And understand, as this man asks Jesus about inheritance, for ancient Jewish society, inheritance was the central economic engine. It is the way the world worked. And so this man is not just asking for some extra money that he can get from his parents after they have died. He is talking about his livelihood. His identity, the family inheritance. And that would be a very typical thing to bring to a Jewish rabbi. Someone who knew well the laws of the Old Testament and could apply those laws to specific situations and mediate disputes among families. But Jesus doesn't quite respond that way, does he? Jesus doesn't respond maybe in the way that we would expect him to. He certainly doesn't respond in the way that this man wants him to. Jesus, instead of getting into the minutia of Old Testament law, he gives us a parable. And in this parable, he says something very important about the word mine, about the question, what belongs to me? And as we consider this parable this morning, we'll see that Jesus says, you own nothing so that you can receive everything. You own nothing so that you can receive everything. First of all, consider you own nothing. It is significant that Jesus doesn't respond to this question by parsing the details of the Old Testament law. Jesus doesn't write a brief. He tells a story. And he does that, I think, because he wants more than our minds. He wants our hearts. He does go to the Old Testament law. He goes to the Tenth Commandment. You shall not covenant. Covet. Covet your neighbor's stuff. He addresses covetousness. The sinful, broken, rebellious, disordered desire for possessions and wealth. And he explains covetousness. And he confronts covetousness with this story about a man who's called a fool. And to my knowledge, this is the only place in the Bible that God speaks directly and calls someone a fool. And so we need to think about that label, and we need to think about why God gives this man the label of fool. And we can see why he calls him that in how Jesus tells this story. So verse 16 Jesus says, a rich man's land produced plentifully. Now, I know school is not in session yet. Not yet. One more week for those in elementary and high school, and then another week for those in college. 
But permit me a little bit of grammar, if you will. What is the subject of the verb produce? It's land, not man, right? Now contrast that with verses 17, 18, and 19. Do you see how the man takes himself and puts himself as the subject of all the verbs? I will do. I will tear down. I will build. I will say to myself. And all of these possessive pronouns, right? My, 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 my. <clears throat> Foolishness is found in that contrast. Because a fool is someone who bases their life on a lie. A fool is someone who bases their life on a lie. And this man has believed a lie. He has forgotten that he is a farmer. He has forgotten that his wealth comes from forces beyond his control. Right? His wealth has come from things that he is not in charge of, like the weather. So his possessions have lied to him about the extent of his power. And God exposes that lie in verse 20 with death. He exposes the lie with death. He says, okay, you've decided all this. You've built all this. You've said, here's what I'm going to do with all of my wealth. Here's all the control that I have. And God says, tonight your soul, which is just the word for life, your life will be required of you. Now, what about all this stuff that you supposedly own? Where is your control now? You see how Jesus flips the inheritance question? He says to the man who's asked this question, you're coming to and asking to me about what belongs to you, but why are you even asking the question? Because someone's died, right? That's what raises inheritance questions. Someone has died, and you know what? You will die as well. And all of this that you supposedly own, all of this that supposedly belongs to you will go to someone else. So in the end, you own nothing. So why are you living your life? Why are you devoting your time and energy and emotion to that? Why are you finding confidence and security in that lie? Money is an incredibly talented liar. And the lie of money isn't luxury. The point of this passage, this man talks about celebrating. The Bible does not oppose celebrating. In fact, Jesus uses the exact word a few chapters later when he talks about the parable um, of the lost son who comes home and the father celebrates the return of the son. The Bible is not against celebrating. Because the lie of money isn't luxury. It's control. The ultimate lie of money is that if I can get enough or if I can get just a little bit more then I'll have rest, I'll have peace, I'll have comfort, security. I can live life with confidence. I can finally 
own my life if I can get the nest egg big enough. I can bring a little bit of order to the chaos. You know those commercials, I think it's for the company Fidelity, where it has the green line that goes out in front of people and people shows people where to turn? That's the lie. That with proper financial management, you can lay out life in a way that you want it to be. That you can pave a path to security and comfort and reconciliation and peace. Jesus wants to expose that lie. And he asks us to consider our death. And he says, can money give you control over that? Do you own as much as you think you do? Because life is not in the abundance of your possessions. Now that is uncomfortable to hear. That's uncomfortable for me to hear. It's uncomfortable for me to say that is heavy. But in the end, it's freedom. That is a message of freedom. Because you know it. You know that money overpromises and underdelivers, right? Money promises peace and delivers anxiety. Sleepless nights. Money promises fullness, but delivers the desire for just a little bit more. So Jesus, in revealing to us the difficult truth that you own nothing in the end, is exposing that lie, and He is freeing us. Isn't it interesting that Jesus turns from telling this story and looks at His disciples and says what? Therefore, implication of the story I just told you, therefore, don't be anxious. Don't be full of fear about what you will eat and what you will wear. But that's not all that Jesus He reveals for us the truth that we own nothing. He says your life is not in the abundance of your possessions, but Jesus doesn't leave us without life. He says you own nothing so that you can receive everything. So as he comes to the end of the story, end of the parable, what's the punchline? It is Jesus showing us That covetousness not only deceives us, but in the end impoverishes us. He says, so it is with the one who lays up treasure to himself. He will not be rich towards God. Covetousness not only deceives us, it impoverishes us. Now, we need to think about what does it mean to be rich towards God? What does that mean when Jesus says that? And if you back up and we consider the context of Luke chapter 12, we'll find Jesus teaching his disciples to live a life of reliance on God's resources, not their own. So he says in verses 11 and 12, when you're arrested for your faith, don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will give you words to say. 
And then after our uh, text in verses uh, 22 to 31, he says, don't worry, don't be anxious about what you're going to wear and what you will eat. Because your Father cares about you more than He cares about the birds and the flowers who don't have to fret about their existence. And then finally in verses 32 to 34, He says, Fear not. Why? Because your Father is pleased to give you His kingdom. And so you are free to open up your resources to those who need them because you have found a better treasure. I love the way one commentator summarized this whole chapter. He says, this chapter teaches people to fear the one who cares so much that fear is unnecessary. This chapter teaches us to fear the one who cares so much about us that fear is unnecessary. And to be rich towards God is to live in that truth. It is to live in that truth rather than to lie of wealth and money. To be rich towards God is to know Him as a generous Father who showers His children with the treasure of His kingdom. And it is then to live a life that reflects His generosity to those around us. That is what it is to be rich towards God. And how do we know God that way? How do we know God as a ridiculously generous Father who gives us an inheritance that is unmatchable? It's through the one who tells us the story. It's it's through the storyteller. It's through Jesus because Jesus not only taught this, He lived it and He died it. He gave His life so that we could cry out to God and call Him Father. And He not only died so that we could call God Father, He rose from the dead and He went to heaven and He has poured out His Holy Spirit on us. And the New Testament says, part of what the Spirit does in and through us is He teaches us to say, in fact, He cries out when we can't even say it, Abba, Father. To be rich towards God is to know Him through Christ as our Father who is generous and gracious who cares more than we know. You will not find peace through better financial management even if Dave Ramsey tells you you will. Okay? Wise financial management, it's good. The Bible has things to say about it. But it will not bring you peace. You will know peace only through knowing God as your Father, through trusting His love and receiving His gifts, realizing that through the gospel, through what Jesus has done for you, you receive the riches of heaven, the book of Colossians told us in the spring. So do you see how Jesus invites us out of a life of ownership 
and into a life of gift. He says, live not by ownership, but by gift. Live not with clenched fists, but with open hands. When our family first watched the movie Watching Nemo, or Finding Nemo, <laughs> Finding Nemo, um, for, for days after that, our, 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 our middle daughter, Georgia, uh, kept talking about the movie that was about giants. She kept saying, this movie, that you know the movie, the movie, the one about giants. And we're like, oh, sweetie, they're fish, they're not giants. And, um, and, and then we eventually figured out that there, there's this scene early in the movie when Nemo is captured, and, and the, it's shown from the perspective of the fish. And when you see it from the perspective of the fish... The humans look like giants. And Georgia had so entered the perspective of the director that she thought they were giants. Jesus wants to shift our perspective. Because perspective determines how large something seems to us. And if you live life from the perspective of ownership and control, then your needs, your fears... And your desires will be giants. But if you will let Jesus bring you into the perspective of gift, then God's desires and others' needs will dominate our view and our actions. The fundamental question that this story poses to us is will you live life by ownership or by gift? Will you learn to speak the hard truth to your heart? I own nothing. So that Jesus can open your hands so that you can receive everything from your Father who is in heaven. And so do you see what Jesus has done with the word mine? Do you see what he's done with the question, what belongs to me? He has said, it's not as important as you think it is. That question is not what defines you. The question is, to whom do you belong? Your life is not what you own. Your life is who owns you. And because of Jesus, we belong to a Father who loves us more than we know. Will you take your anxious heart to Him this morning? And let Him transform you and lead you into a life that reflects His generosity. Let's pray.